0: Hi, I'm Rita Savasco with Rooted in Language, and we have a great podcast today talking about uh, using conversation with creating um, a finished product to really deepen learning. And you've been hearing us talk about this and and, uh, delve into this idea of what is deep learning throughout this season. Today, I have my sister back with me, Jodi Weber, And she um, teaches on instructional conversation. And we are going to talk about um, just kind of bringing the ideas together, um, not only how this can happen in a classroom setting, how it can happen in a homeschool setting, but also how this happens in our work with kids uh, when we are working with them um, in intervention and trying to help the struggling learner. So, Jody, you're currently um, teaching at the University of Georgia. Tell us about that.
1: That's correct. Yes. And hi, thank you for inviting me to be part of this and to get to be with some of my favorite women friends. It's just awesome to be here. Um, I am a, a retired teacher and principal and now am faculty at the University of Georgia in the College of Education at the Center for Latino Achievement and Success in Education, which is also known as Class A. And we are um, providing professional development to in-the-field teachers in the area of instructional conversation. And um, we also have moved to uh, making sure that there's an emphasis on culturally and linguistically diverse learners. Because we are not just speaking about students who are Hispanic or students who Are speakers of another language, but really the whole idea that all of us come with our own home language and our own experiences, and how to tap into that for instructional purposes. So, um, as we talked about in a previous podcast, it's been so fun over the years talking to you about your work, Rita, and hearing as as you developed this whole system of instruction and with this wonderful team. And as we continue to find ways that our work paralleled each other, it just became more and more exciting. And then we were so honored to be able to host the four of you at one of our foundational institute trainings last summer. And so now we um, continue to deepen our understanding of the work that each other does. Okay. So thank you for including me it's today. It's
0: And before we go any further, I just want to say that Claire Baker is here talking uh, with you as well. And Kruzanowski is here talking with you as well. Hi. Uh, Jody. to get us started, uh, why don't you talk about your work with Instructional Conversation? And we would just like to join in on what we see from our end.
1: Nice. So our work is based on uh, work that came out of Berkeley 30, 40 years ago. And there were five basic areas that were identified as being critical for good instruction. Um, One is the emphasis on language and literacy, regardless of content. Even in math, for example, even in science, we're looking at the language and literacy involved in that. Contextualizing the lesson to help students uh, understand it from their own lives, from their own perspectives really help helps to deepen understanding. Making sure that activities are challenging and complex that increases motivation and engagement in a big way. Um, we find that it's, they found and we agree that finding ways to collaborate with each other and for students collaborating with each other is a really important part. The, um, the whole space for conversation matters, and it's not just conversation for conversation's sake, but purposeful conversation, having a conversation about content, about the work. And then the, the last area is what we call a joint productive activity, or a JPA. And this means that when students are Um, doing their work, that they are creating something. So it might be comparing and contrasting using a Venn diagram, for example. And then they're having conversation about Um, where they think something should go, whether it's part of, if you're comparing two texts, if it's part of this text or it's part of that text, or in the middle, the things they have in common, with kids agreeing and respectfully disagreeing and citing evidence. Um, So that joint productive activity, the key to it is there's a product, there's something they're creating, It's done jointly or collaboratively, and that there's a lot of conversation around it.
2: Yeah, we've I just to kind of put it in context for a lot of people who have maybe listened to what we've talked about before um, or seen us talk or anything along those lines that we talk about uh, making a product a lot. Mm -hmm. um, And. Uh, that that's a really important part of the learning process. And a lot of our understanding of that and kind of furthering and pushing that a little bit more in our students and the work that we do um, came from a lot of the conversations that we had with you, Jody. Um and doing the class A sort of intensive that we did with you guys. Um, so it's really helped us see that a little bit more too and then trying to spread that um, to the parents that we educate and, the, and our own students. It's exciting
0: and um because we're so about writing Mm -hmm. writing is always a product right right uh so um, all the work we do trying to help kids analyze and write often comes out in this uh uh, we are jointly working Mm -hmm. to create a product but i know even with my own kids i was often doing that with two or three together um, having engaging in what was in effect an instructional conversation, although I certainly didn't have all the same goals in mind that I now understand right. through your work,
3: Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things we were discussing today that um, is an important element of what uh, Jody was talking about this instructional conversation process that really applies whether you're working in a classroom or you're you're working with one or a couple kids uh, via homeschooling or you're working one-on-one as a therapist whoever you may be listening is this idea of um, sort of this different way this intentional way of teaching almost not to use the word teaching more to use the word facilitating this process of learning um, in, in a way that really spins what a, a teacher or, or educator student relationship often looks like, which is to say, you know, you have kind of your idea in mind of where you want this activity, this conversation, this whatever you're doing with the child or children, and you have this sense of what you want them understanding or getting, and that often can lead us as educators down a path of, um, you know, really kind of only accepting rigidity. Yes, rigidity. You're mm-hmm. kind of only accepting that the the learning might only go one way, or I'm looking for this one specific outcome, or these this certain answer, such that we we end up in this framework of I ask questions you respond me you me you and when I ask a question it's pretty clear based on how I respond that I'm wanting you to be getting this certain thing and um, when you don't when the child doesn't necessarily respond in the way that you're you know wanting them to often we can feel that we're being very open and receptive by saying things like you know good thought but when every time we respond with yes, but, (laughs) and then we kind of give our next probing thing, or yes, but didn't you think that, and we sort of give a leading question Mm -hmm. that leads them somewhere. Kids often start to sense, oh, I see how this is. There's right answers, and if I don't know them, um, then I'm wrong, or if I don't know them, I might as well not say anything, or if I don't know them, I'm just going to say I don't know. Right. And so we have a lot of parents or teachers or even you know I have these conversations with myself because I will fall into this trap as well. It's very easy. That's what the teacher model is. I ask questions, you answer. I have I have goals. I want you to meet those goals. Um, and so we can get stuck with kids who respond with a lot of I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know I I'm not engaging. Yeah, I read it. I don't know. And then we don't know how to get to that rich, deep learning.
1: And you know, a a point that um, when Tracy and I were having a conversation earlier that she made that I think is really important is that we can get caught in just wanting the product so not just even wanting the right answer but if say they're doing the venn diagram we want the venn diagram done and we want it correct and we want all the parts yeah it's second track that's a great way to put that and to really pull back on that and to appreciate and allow for the process mm-hmm. to really recognize it isn't completing the Venn diagram. It's the process of engaging in that compare and contrast mm-hmm. and the conversation that's going around it. And it doesn't even matter if you complete the Venn diagram. The process, that's not, not the point. The product, honestly. Right. Exactly, right. Yes. and yeah. that is what what opens up understanding and it also is really critical because it reveals misconceptions Mm -hmm. and that allows the teacher or the parent educator then to layer in um you don't ever allow misconceptions to lay there you want to you want to move in on them but then back away again and allow the work to continue
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it sounds like there's these two pieces that we want to make sure are always happening together which is this facilitating and guiding and yes you have you know your learning goals in mind, but um, doing it in such a way that isn't rigid in what you're expecting out of the child or children, um, along with having them engaged actively by creating something. Which is just a vehicle for the engagement and the deep learning yes. as opposed to the product itself. Right. Yes. That's right. And I think this is a question we often
0: get, like, is it okay to only edit to this point?
1: Mm-hmm. Is
0: it okay if, you know, we had hoped to do a whole paper but we did a paragraph? And there's so much many oh, times that yeah. we're saying, you know, how much was learned in that paragraph? It really is the process. Mm-hmm um and all of the strategies involved the end product actually doesn't um it's not that we don't have goals in mind but the goal is the learning that occurs in Mm -hmm. the midst of it which is different than the educational model that says here is your assignment
3: here's your rubric complete
0: the (laughs) assignment here is your grade based on what was done not what were you really learning you know in the midst of Mm -hmm. all of this and the other point, it takes time to be in a process. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I love about your work, Jody. Why don't you speak to that about giving time?
1: Yeah. And, you know, to, if I may follow a little bit on what you were saying there, too, um, it, it really comes down to, and, and this is what you were saying, I'm just repeating it, your instructional goal. So it, is it about teaching If it's about teaching, then there needs to be patience, you know, there needs to be time to delve in and explore. Um, We emphasize the importance of a safe environment where kids can throw out ideas and take risks and maybe make connections they're not so sure about, but they want to explore the possibility of. All of that is really important, and from that comes better understanding, better progress instructionally. But your instructional goal might be that you give a prompt and they write a complete paper because the world also requires that of us, Mm. right? It's just sometimes we get confused that we think that we have to go from introducing to writing a full paper mm-hmm. without all that space in between that we call teaching right. you know <laughs> and, and something that kids come in on with instructional conversation is what they love is that it's patient. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, we are, we're moving quickly in schools, you know, to, to get to all the different content and to get to lunch and recess and whatever. And you all are on the clock, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a designated amount of time right, with your right. student. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be wasteful of that time. You want it to be productive. But then you have to be clear both in your head and for the student what your instructional goal is Mm -hmm. so that there's not even the pretense that you're expecting them to write an entire paper from beginning to end during this session. But instead, we're going to explore ideas. Right.
2: I feel like we have to be really clear with parents, too, Mm -hmm. because they know, like, I see a student, I see their student for one hour every week, um, you know, in a good week, right? And it's not even always that often um and that when i am working on something with a student and you know maybe they're in a high school level and they're expected to be writing a research paper or an analysis paper and i know that they need you know a little more support or more explicit teaching in an area they're not going to leave the session having written an analysis <laughs> paper And it's like, well, you didn't do what you needed to do. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, We're working on the process. But we are doing what we need to do, right? And we all, all three of us, right, educator and parent and student need to see and understand together that this is a piece of this puzzle and it's a massive piece. And if you want to be at a point where you can walk in and an hour later have an analysis paper written, There's a lot of things that lead up to that.
3: Getting to that independence, right, isn't this overnight thing, right? Right. There's so much of that real learning that has to happen in the middle that you talk about. That is what's going to lead to maybe some of those quick, really polished skills later down the road. Um, But the learning that happens and what that product looks like every time doesn't always have to be the polished piece. Sometimes it's the polished piece. Sometimes it's this little bit of it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really modified because your student has dysgraphia or dyslexia or whatever. We talk about that a lot, right? There can be a little bit of writing that happened or you're making a little bit of a chart and the chart doesn't have to look amazing and beautiful, but it was the fact that you were getting some of those ideas down and I was doing some of them and you were doing some of them. Sometimes that's what it can look like and there's a ton of learning that happened Mm -hmm.
1: there. And if you'll allow me to geek out just just a little <laughs> bit to talk about research, um, a a big piece, and we've talked about this in in previous uh, podcasts together, and so I you know I'm not going to go a lot into it, but John Hattie's work, and Hattie is spelled H A T T I E, and you can find his work at visiblelearning.org. org, and he does a huge meta analysis of what works what's effective in schools across many countries. So it's really um, really looking with a, with a big lens. But um, what he, uh, an effect size, if he says that a, a teaching strategy has an effect size of 0. 0.4, that means for one year of teaching, you're getting one year of growth. Well, he has found that conversation has a 0.82 effect size. So you are getting two years growth for one year. So taking that hour... Mm and spending time getting the, the student to really talk about the work mm-hmm. and engage with the work in that way is is like you meeting with them five times a week. Right. You know, right. I mean, you're just getting a lot of bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. That if, The other thing that we um, have just started exploring, and this is a, about to come out in a paper and um, more analysis is going to be done, but we... Um, there's a the georgia center for assessment that's at uga and they provide what are called assesslets to schools where the kids take this writing test with a writing prompt it's delivered very much the way a state test would be done and then GCA analyzes that and gives feedback to the teacher, so the teacher has a sense of where kids are in their writing and mm-hmm. what they need to work on before it does get to the big high stakes tests. Right. So they have helped us analyze that. We've looked at third graders in one uh, county that's that's close to us in Athens, Georgia. And we've looked at students who are in schools where teachers have been trained in instructional conversation and in schools where they have not. And we've compared the writing of those third graders. And um, what we have found is um, these really significant differences. And again, we're we're not even checking to see where the teacher is using instructional conversation. It might be in language arts, but it might be in math. Or it might be in science. It doesn't matter. When they get that writing prompt, what do they do with it? In non-IC classrooms, kids are not writing as much, mm-hmm. and they are using only the words that were provided in the prompt. So if the story is about a, um, a little boy who adopts a dog at, a, at the kennel and brings it home, they write about the dog you know, and and the boy who brought it home from the kennel. But in the IC classrooms, what we're finding is they're extending that language. So it's not just using the word dog, but using the word puppy and pup and doggy, and also taking the perspective of others. So the perspective of the dog and the perspective of the mom bringing it home. So the writing is deeper and richer and bigger. And all of that is just coming from conversations, yeah. you know. So yeah. that time's well spent.
2: Absolutely, right. yeah. And we know, and one of the, you know, like the big tree metaphor that we use is that the four trunks mm-hmm. of of listening and speaking and reading and writing. There's a reason they're all growing together. Right. Um, that if you're practicing a skill of conversation uh, and practicing it carefully and explicitly. The theory being and the and the research showing that it is it is growing in other places too. Yeah.
3: Well and also yeah, we nice. we're intentional about helping to consolidate that by actively engaging in something along with the conversation, Thank right? You. Because right. so so much Discussion, conversation, discussion can happen around just conversation, right? <laughs> Very meta. Yeah. I know, I know how else do I say that? Um, but, but, and then you might be wondering, well, you know, how do we get, you know, but we talked all about this. I've had parents say this to me a mm-hmm. lot. Well, we had uh, this whole conversation, you know, over here, mm-hmm. and then several days later, or whatever, we went to like do the thing, the mm-hmm. product. And Mm -hmm. my child suddenly, like, couldn't, like, engage in all these great things he had said, and now he had nothing to say, and what, you know, how are we helping bring all that together? Well using that conversation to keep him engaged and building on his writing skills and working on those things together all in the same process and letting the conversation be what gets to that depth through engaging in a product mm-hmm. while you're having the conversation. That's where all that's going to happen, especially with the struggling learner who that amount of separation mm-hmm. might be really hard for them to connect. Right. You know, they, mm-hmm. they need help with that gap, and the uh, IC process is, is like exactly that, it's that working on all of that together. That's what we call consolidation and working on helping get skills kind of happening together, um, you know, and it's easy to separate out all the individual skills that we want. So, mm-hmm. so, the mistake being that we
0: had a conversation, this may work well for say a typical learner yeah. and have more... Um, uh, 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 a longer path for the struggling learner is I had the conversation on Tuesday, I write the paper on Friday, Friday. Right. Right. So, some of what I think you're trying to say is we're having the conversation, and some bits of writing may be happening at that point. And Claire, you had a good example of
2: this. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I work on with um, one of my students who's in high school, and um, he's been reading a lot of really high level text. Um, and is expected to write high-level text in response. Um, and he's very good at it, but he doesn't always come to um, the the conclusions and the deep understanding. Um, and so then he doesn't know what to write about.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so we have been having a lot of conversations. When he comes and sees me and says, well, we read... Whatever book it was, like we read Frankenstein, um, and I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, right. Super simple book right there. Um, And so he doesn't even know where to begin with writing. um, So I spend our time together, we spend our time together having a conversation. Even though I know the ultimate final product needs to be a paper, our entire hour is spent talking. And there is writing going on. I was going to say, what are
3: you doing, too, while but, you
2: talk? <laughs> um, because I know that it's like 100% of his effort is on coming up with ideas and engaging in conversation, the act of writing in that moment is too much for him. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of tears the whole system down. So mm-hmm. I take on the role of I'm basically, I will be your arm. I will write for you in this moment. I'm not writing his paper. I'm writing our ideas. Mm -hmm. And they're not his ideas, they're not my ideas, they're our ideas. Mm -hmm. That we go back and forth, we have really in-depth, very elaborate conversations that don't always start elaborate. Sometimes they start with, he brings up a specific place where he's confused and I throw my two cents out. Or sometimes it starts with surface, with plot stuff. Some of the stuff they might easily be able to kind of recall and Mm -hmm. discuss
3: at first, and then through facilitating, you start to get some of that depth. Yeah,
2: actually, yeah, we usually, I usually start by asking him what happened, right? Like, where are you? What's going, what's even, give me something to work with, right? And I kind of put the responsibility on, like, I, I don't know either, so let's, let's find out together, and then I am organizing thoughts while we're, like, having this conversation so that at the end, we end up with a sort of table full or a page full of notes, that are drawn between and there's stuff circled and starred and it's sort of a mess, but it's the visualization of our conversation. Um, And it's a product.
0: It's a product. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not unusual for me to walk through the room (laughs) and the entire table is covered, you know, with Mark White Mm -hmm. uh, dry erase marker all over. With writing mm-hmm. and um, the student standing there with his camera taking pictures <laughs> here and there, um, but I think part of what we were talking about before is, you know, we know what the prompt is now. We know. I mean, it's hard when you are the teacher because you could write five of those papers, right? You you're thinking, oh, I would use this thesis or this one or this one or this one, and and the beginning conversation can look pretty surfacey. Yep. Um, nowhere near a real thesis. Um, but you know, what do you do when the things that kids first start saying to you really have no depth? Do you still write them down? Of course.
2: I absolutely do. Yeah. And, and it, and I usually, because I know to the ultimate goal of going deeper, whether or not I know what we're going to be concluding, I know that we will be concluding. Right, That's kind of the the overarching idea.
0: That's your instructional goal. That's my
2: instructional goal, right. We will be drawing a conclusion somewhere in here. And I tend to try to reflect that visually on the table as well, that the initial thoughts and ideas are at the top, and we cycle down. And we literally move down deeper. And so what's cool is then he will sometimes be able to visually see, like, oh, this thing that we said at the very beginning, like 45 minutes ago... Hill pointed out that it is a direct line to something that we just said. And so we can draw this connection between these two ideas.
1: So something I'm curious about, um, a big part of our goal with students is building autonomy. Mm-hmm. So. Clearly, the student right now needs you doing all of that, yes. and you are modeling for mm-hmm. him, you grabbing his ideas, validating his ideas, creating that safe environment, and then capturing it in a product. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to me if you think about uh, ways to help build his autonomy, where then maybe at some point you have a template... right? And he, to, or together, the two of you are filling in. Yeah. And then maybe a template that he is, and then maybe he's creating right. he just has fully, yes, yeah. yes. Right. Because the goal is that, you don't have to go off to his first job with him, right? right? Exactly, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that like that it it's being launched. But if you for... didn't provide those training wheels oh, for him, yeah, would he get there? Right. Yeah. And how,
2: yeah. Do you Do you think that anybody can just out of the blue be able to organize – you know, bits of thought that come floating in your head to conclude about something you read. Right. Well, and that's such an important point because what you've noted now
3: is is where you are. And that's something we do a lot in Roots Entwined. We try to help parents and teachers uh, give them some tools for establishing what skills my student has, What skills Mm -hmm. they don't really have, what are some things that are kind of in between, you know, you know, and creating some of those goals. And one of the things you've realized with your student is, okay, he has a lot of depth Mm -hmm. that is there to be tapped, but when I have him write, I lose a lot of that because that can be part of dysgraphia, that flow of thought from head to hand. But what you're working towards is, you know, your goals will change over time where, okay, today you have a marker and, you know, one or two of these thoughts have to be in your color. Right. And I'll mm-hmm. write all the other ones, right? And then as that evolves, you know, today you know, five of them are going to be in your color. Like, you said it, now you're going to write that mm-hmm. down, et cetera, et cetera. And so that you are, you know, and that's important for the educator to yeah. know that we are moving towards that independence. It's okay to be support, especially for the struggling learner. We can't throw all of it at them all at once. We have to be bridging gaps but we're bridging. Right. So we want to make sure it doesn't stay in one spot. And I think that's a very important point. Sometimes
0: I will say, here, you know, you pick your color, you pick mm-hmm. mine. You write down what I say. And I'll write what you and say. And I'll write I've what I've done you that say. before. Um, yeah. oh, a lot of times it's heavier in what they say when yeah. we're done because I'm actually faster at writing, getting more down. Um, and so in the end, that table might be covered, but more of their words than mine.
3: Yep. Yep right because you were faster yeah and you know
1: in in our work um students have to identify conversation challenges and then set conversation goals and sometimes students their conversation challenge is that they don't like to contribute Mm -hmm. so then their their goal is that they're going to um, contribute but then we we kind of put numbers on that so how many times are you gonna set your goal for contributing i'm gonna contribute three times so kind of building off of the idea that you just shared there claire is it would be awesome if they're choosing how many contributions do Mm -hmm. you feel like you can make today and then you're building on it. Well, you've you've done three now these last couple of times. Let's let's bump that up. Right. What, what are you ready for? Right. You know, yeah. so that again, it's continuing. You have faith in them, mm-hmm. but it's in these little bites that mm-hmm. maybe they can they can manage. Right. As and you're we're coming autonomy. from a
2: place of like we didn't start there, right? I didn't start right. asking what he thought. That wasn't my initial question out of the gate because that's a very intimidating question. Right. We started with me assuming that I'm just going to help you, and the ultimate goal is that as soon as we go to have a conversation, he's the one picking up the marker and never even asks right. or assumes anything the other way around. Right. Um, um, I, to your point of what you were saying about the
3: non-contributor, you know, and, and we get this, you get it in classrooms, but and you also get it one-on-one, and you get it when you have a small group, the student keeps saying, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know, and or saying nothing, right? (laughs) Um, And one of the the educator strategies we wanted to to give you is, you know, what do we mean when we say that the educator is facilitating as opposed to leading, which is um, one of the things we talk a lot about is this commenting strategy as opposed to ask a question, give a response, which is so teacher-student, you know, that's that framework we're used to seeing. So it's, and I find myself falling back on this all the time. And then I realize, you know, smacking my forehead at the end of a session that I was just like, you know, throwing them the, <laughs> the questions. Every time they responded, I threw them another question and I clearly had something in mind I was trying to get them towards. And then that really shut down where we went, as opposed to, um, this happened the other day with the Harry Potter book I was discussing with a student, making observations myself, and not necessarily being afraid that I might have given away some, some insight there, right? That allowed him to have something to build off of without it being, you know, well, what do you think Harry meant when he said blah, blah, blah? That feels like there's this answer I want. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, when Harry said this interesting line, it made me think about, you know, that maybe he was feeling, you know, X, Y, and Z and letting that beat happen you know and the student kind of think about that really allowed my student to then say oh yeah when I read that I thought and he might have kind of echoed a little bit of what I said but then he built on it a little bit and I try to think okay what's that piece he added that I can then build on such to the point that at the end of the session he said this felt like a book club and and (laughs) you know what we were doing while he was doing that we had been talking about the first Harry Potter book, and he went and watched the movie. And we were making this T-chart of his observations about the book versus the movie and what some of those differences were. And he, he struggles to write and, you know, getting some of those things down. So as he was making comments, you know, one of his jobs is to is we're working on identifying his thoughts, honestly validating them and then getting them on the paper. And I was basically trying anything he said that I, you know, that was a thought about the book or the movie. He had to identify Was it his opinion, or did he just say something kind of general about the plot? You know, if it was my opinion, then, you know, I'm writing it down. If he said something general about the plot, he wrote that down too, but we had this, like, plot one. (laughs) We had this plot one, and we had, like, an opinion one. So we were kind of sorting through what kinds of thoughts we were having, but everything was valid.
2: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And we've done this with post-its, right? Like, let's have the pink color be our plot Mm -hmm. comments. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have the green color be your opinion comments. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have, you know, what is left. Blue color is going to be my opinion comments. Mm -hmm. And on every page, we're putting a plot comment and then opinion comment from you, opinion comment from me, so that something is still being produced, right? Right. Um, I've done things where we'll have a T-chart where we're talking about an event in the book. We decide to gather what's the quote. While I'm typing in on our document, our Google Doc, the quote, the student is typing in the commentary on the quote. (laughs) And we might take turns with that so that, you know, uh, he's getting uh, uh, experience or she is getting experience with both. So there are ways that you know that's why we call it laying the path, right? right? Because we know what you need to get to independently, and we're going to continue to engage in this. And being joint and productive can be between a group of kids, mm-hmm. between a family of kids, and mm-hmm. between a which is adult, essentially a classroom.
3: If you think you about know, it,
0: a parent and or a child, free. or an intervention specialist and a child. You know, you can have these small groups, bigger groups, but there's just this way that you kind of create this path that gets them where they need to be Mm -hmm. right
1: and you know when i hear you all talk about your lessons i mean i want to do it (laughs) it sounds so exciting and it makes me think back um just a couple decades ago when i was in high school (laughs) and you know you'd analyze poetry and he you know the teacher would say well what does this mean and I would make a connection to it and he would say no that was wrong and I remember even then thinking how does this old guy you know think that my view as a 16 year old woman is wrong you know, your view as a probably younger than I am now man you know (laughs) but but that's the thing is is yeah it is and it's what makes you hate stuff right it's what yeah I and, and I, was well, and I yeah. and see, I didn't take the I was wrong. I took he's a jerk. But
3: then... <laughs> well, you have this whole you know myriad of responses, right? Depending on the student. And all of
1: them shut you down. Right? Yep, totally and all do. of them reduce motivation. Yep. And all of them reduce engagement. And good. And oh. the lessons all of you have shared here are the things that make you sit up, mm-hmm. make your eyes get bigger, make you... It's like I'm part of a book club. You know, it makes it, fun and engaging and interesting and in the process they're learning and developing and growing.
0: So I hope that um, that just kind of helped us put together in our heads that what the research is telling us, um, what can go on in a classroom, what can go on in a homeschool environment, what can go on in a therapy session. Um, can be this engaged learning that's really taking kids not only deeper in their thinking, but faster in their growth. I think that's the exciting thing, Jody, about what you are doing right now and the impact you're having in classrooms across America that we are, um, we're finding the tools that work and we can have confidence in that. And not just because we see it, and not just because it actually is more fun. Like, guess what? It's way more fun to have, you know, work with kids when they're engaged. They're having <laughs> more fun. We're way having more fun, more fun to learn when you're more engaged. <laughs> yes, just so happens. hmm, We all feel that way, right? Right, right. So, you know, teachers are more motivated. Everybody wins, right? And I think, but it's also exciting to know, you know what? But there's also research out there yeah. uh, supporting what, what we're talking about. And that just motivates us more to dig right. in and even deeper and find more ways to do this. So that said, and your work, Jodi, um, apparently you have written a book recently. Why,
1: thank you, Rita. <laughs> <laughs> that was so spontaneous. <laughs> um, yes, if we would love for you to explore more about Instructional Conversations, the book that we have. It comes out in mid-June 2019. It's called, With a Little Help from My Friends, Conversation-Based Instruction for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Classrooms and the lead author on this is Dr. Paula Mellum and also my colleague Rebecca Hickson and myself Jody Weber and we would love if you would check it out and uh, you can certainly email us if you have any questions or there's any way that we can help and this uh, dynamic foursome here knows all there is to know so they can certainly help you with it but thank Thank you. This has been so fun for me. I appreciate being part of it.
0: And just before we close, I'm just going to make a comment about linguistically diverse. Ah, Diversity is, you know, such a big word right now. And we think about what does it mean to be linguistically diverse? To me, it means you're human. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we just had uh, last night my son's rehearsal dinner. And um, all these jokes were being made about... Um, the difference between the culturally Italian family and all their talking, and the um, cultural linguistic differences between the predominantly German family and their way of and talking, communication
3: styles of more introverted people versus more extroverted people. Right, yeah.
0: and um, it just it was so funny that all the toasts just really started to take on this theme, of this difference in how diverse we are. We all have a culture based on our personalities, our families, our families of origin, um, the way our own families interact, what our marriages are like. So many things, whether we're male, whether we're female, I mean so many different things can influence our own linguistic diversity. So um, I just want to say that with encouragement that this is not just about How do I understand all the different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone we meet is of a different linguistic culture. And that's so important to know.
2: Thank you. Well said. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. I was going to say, thank you, everybody, for listening. This concludes Season 2 of the Rooted In Podcast, which is very exciting. We will be picking up with Season 3 sometime in the fall. So keep an ear out for (laughs) us. Uh, You've been a lovely audience.